G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RBC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RBC podcast, and we don't ask for anything in return. Well, well, actually, what we would do is be incredibly grateful if you could just pop us a, a review on, on the Apple Podcast or iTunes and uh, leave us a five-star review. There might be other reviews that you can give, one star, two star, uh, etc., but five stars would really actually benefit us and, and getting this information out to the people that want to listen to us and help us in in metrics that uh, the brian and myself don't don't understand at all um but maybe one day we we will um there's i, I believe i'm not sure whether i said this uh, out last time but there, there, there was one from aiden in 1997 so i imagine he's it's 20 um a, a great academic resource easy to listen to with leading experts providing up-to-date information on pathology and diagnostic treatment of conditions definitely worth listening to well thank you very much for for, for that um and uh, and please keep me coming honestly it's it's uh, it's very helpful um for for us so today we're fortunate enough to uh, talk to james adams who is one of our uh, staff clinicians in large animal medicine here at the rvc um, and we thought we'd uh, we'd quiz him a little bit or ask him about uh, his approach to to common presentations being called to see, say, a, a sheep, goat, or, or alpaca at a small holding rather than the farm scent. So thank you very much, James, for, for coming in to having a having Thank a chat. you for inviting me. But my, my pleasure. You, you uh, it's, it's a bit cold uh, to, today, you're, you're right? <laughs> I'm fine. I Lots of coffee. I thought it's on days like this that you, you'd rather be a small animal vet, wouldn't you? Or? No, well, I work in a hospital with the varied species. At the moment in the hospital we have llamas, we have alpacas, we have sheep. And we're expecting a wallaby as well, so surely that must be cold. <laughs> That's a problem. I'm feeling a bit lost. If you have a, uh, you know, someone call, call you up or you go and go and see an individual animal, can you say you're? I suppose like commonly the presentation or why you get called there is either they might have a bit lethargic, which obviously yep. is a non-descriptive thing that mm-hmm. happens in small animals as well, yeah. um, or or uh, or diarrhea or, or or weight loss. Yeah, definitely yes, common things. And so and so you have a a. a a, a standard approach in, in what you ask the, the, the clients them, themselves yeah. um, before you even even get into uh, um, examining the, 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 the pet sheep yes. or the small holding sheep? I suppose with these sort of animals, you probably take the approach of a small animal vet. Um, you assume nothing. nothing. Um, it's not like a, a dairy farmer who probably is used to dealing with several diseases. You see him fairly frequently and have quite a good relationship relationship with them and um, these people are often could be new clients or not very regular clients and you can't assume they know anything in the nicest possible way uh, so you just start off with a basic questioning just you know how old is the animal how long have you owned it for um, it's often quite important to establish that animal's home bred um, there's a lot of diseases in farm work which can be caught as a neonate and then don't become apparent until they're much older so such as yoni's disease um, and in sheep uh, made a visna um, ovine pulmonary adeno, adeno, uh, adenocarcinoma as well so these things are diseases which if the animal isn't home bred could, are always on your list of options is, is that quite common that people actually think they're not necessarily rescuing but, but taking a, an animal from a, a, a farm situation so they're so not yeah. home bred yeah. so people yeah yeah very much so people say mm. so, so I have animals in and they go oh I've rescued these eight sheep and you know uh, they feel that helping the sheep and the sheep had a very nice life as a you know, as a consequence. And often the ones they rescue are the ones with the problem, you know, the one with the gammy joint or something. And so, uh, you know, people love to rescue an animal with the disabilities. 
No, well, actually, I mean, it's, it's fe- feeling feeling part of it, yeah. or, or rescuing battery hens, or and, and yes, anything else. Like it's it's a it's a it's a it's a good thing. But I suppose that you you don't think that they might have actual um, issues from that farm that they were they were rehomed from, if you if you like. Yeah, but often they do. Yeah. So the thing is, a lot of farmers themselves aren't aware of their own problems on their own farm. You know, if you've got a farm where everything's slaughtered like lambs at five months, these diseases that don't become apparent till two or three years old will not become apparent on the farm. And so you, you just don't know what you're buying in. You know, people who keep pets, sheep and goats and alpacas, these animals, not so much alpacas, but these animals are living much longer than they normally would, so you're going to have many more problems that you normally wouldn't encounter in these sort of species. Okay. And so, so you asked them about whether they've, uh, whether they've um, bred them on, on site or whether yep. they've uh, bought, them, yep. yeah, bought them in, or I suppose bought any, any new uh, um, stock yeah. in. That's often useful to know as well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, then, um, and then do you ask them about their, their husbandry, I'd, I'd imagine? About the husbandry, yes, to what the animals fed. Um, try and get an honest answer. Um, we currently have a sheep and it's just fed digestive biscuits. Not ideal for the sheep, but it's useful for us to know. Um, you know, things like worming history, uh, vaccinations. People often aren't aware they need to vaccinate their animals against diseases like Clostridia. Um, you know, pet, pet animals aren't kept like a cow. They're not under a lot of pressure. It's not very intense. Um, they don't need much energy to survive as such. So really a lot of the diseases we see in small animals and smallholder practices um, are just due to mismanagement or a lack of knowledge, really. Um, incorrect feeding, perhaps in alpacas vitamin D deficiency, uh, incorrect worm and control, um, perhaps overstocking. You know, very, you know, you don't see the high-end metabolic diseases that you'd see in a dairy cow. Are there, is there any limitation about um, the, the size of property that you need to, to have uh, sheep, goats, al- alpacas? Or... or um so, so legally, yeah. so legally for sheep and goats, uh, if you've got 50 poultry or a pig, you must have a CPH number, so you must be legally uh, registered, um, and that number must be producible if someone from the ministry comes to ask for it. Um, alpacas are still no <laughs> legal requirements for them to be registered, so they can move freely around the country, but all the other species, you have to register their movements around, and this is really is a big consequence of the foot to mouth in 2001. Do alpacas get foot and mouth? They can, yeah, they can kind of get TB, uh, so please be aware of that if, I ca- if the alpaca coughs in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, yonis, BVD, all these diseases. It's, in some ways, you don't really know what diseases they do carry, and they move freely around the country, and it's a big problem. Um, another one is homonchus, which is a worm uh, that sucks blood out of animals, and again, alpacas is a big problem with that. Um, there's been a lot of use of anthelmintics, so wormers and alpacas, and it's creating quite a bit of resistance, so that's a bit of a worry. And I think because it's not naturally infectious disease like a TB, people don't worry about it, but if you're bringing animals onto your property with this parasite, it can be very hard to get rid of, and it will always affect your animals. Okay. So, so after you sort of work out how they're, how they're managed and, and, the, and the husbandry, was, yeah. was it difficult to tease out the information about a sheep being fed to digestive uh, biscuits? No, it's... It's, uh, you kind of just, I just apply, you know, you're very open, open to question. What does the animal yeah. feed? Yeah. And the same when you when I was one of it, it's just, they just let them free to talk. You know, these, these are often their pets. They treat it like a dog. They see it as a dog. They're willing to spend money on it like a dog. You need the same approach as a dog. Mm-hmm. And really just show, show the same sort of empathy as well. Mm. Um, just show that you care about the animal. That's what they want you to do. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And so, when you after you've found out a little about uh, about what's what's been what's been going on, as as far as examination goes, I imagine it's the it's the same approach as you would do to to any any species. Yeah, yeah very much so. So perhaps your differential list may be different. Um, but the same approach, so just a full clinical examination. So I think people get stressed, uh, primarily small animal vets, and they deal with cats and dogs, get stressed because this is, this is what they see as an unknown species. But if they just do a full clinical examination, I'm sure they can always identify the system involved and then perhaps, you know, look up or speak to people about how, you know, uh, differentials for that system and how they may go about it. Okay, um, and uh, and is there any particular like like focus that you have when you're examining a, a sheep, goat, or, or alpaca? As in, because I suppose that the uh, you know well the root to the soul is your stomach, isn't it? So so do you, do you focus on on dentition and, and teeth? Or? Yeah, just have a logical approach going through all your systems. Yeah, very much in old animals in particular, uh, a thin animal or the animal that can't eat, I can't survive for too long if they live on grass. So teeth is a very good place to start. Um, checking the heart and lungs. Um, people get, forget about their ruminants or, or camelids are pseudo-ruminants and have, and have three stomachs, uh, so how to auscultate them properly, um, checking there's good turnover. To be honest, if an animal's producing normal-looking feces, you can probably assume the GIT is okay. You know, looking at a sh- an animal, a sheep, a goat, look at its body condition. Uh, sometimes you, need, you really need to put a hand on it because of the big fleece can hide that animal's losing condition. Uh, looking at it, trying to eat, can it eat properly? Uh, is there any dysphagia at all, dropping a feed and you're quitting, um, checking respirate, um, checking any mucky bums, checking fecal consistency and looking for lameness. And to be honest, that will cover quite a few systems in itself. So, so when, um, I've heard like, obviously like Churchy, uh, David Church, sorry, Professor Church, talking about, uh, um, you know, like weight loss in general and like, yeah. is it, you know, we'll always ask like, is it weight loss with, with uh, eating normal amount of, of food? Like weight, weight loss and good appetite, yes. weight loss and yeah. poor appetite. I imagine appetite is maybe quite a difficult thing for people to understand when, when as you said, if I, if I feed a dog, I feed it a certain amount, I know yes. what it eats. Whereas, yeah. whereas how, how does that translate with uh, trying to work out that information? You'd be, you'd, well, you'd be surprised if someone has five pet sheep. They often know how much each one is eating. They will give they will give them feed every day and see which one's keen to eat. Um, you, yeah, it's not like they've got two hundred cows where they didn't have a clue. Uh, they really will know. Okay, okay. So, so it's easier to to find out that that information. Yeah, yeah and if needs be, you can always put the animal individually. Um, you know, we see a lot of block pet goats. You know, if you're worried about, about an animal, put it by itself. I know that may be stressful in itself, but then you know how much it's eating, if it's passing urine, if it's passing feces. And to be honest, if those those things are fine, then probably the animal is not doing too badly. Okay. And so, when, when if you have, say, if we talk about weight loss um, for for the start, so if you can examine their teeth and you think that that is that is pretty much a, a, okay, mm. um, there's no physical reason why they why they're not not eating um, as as much as they as they should what would be your your next um investigation or, or so you said they are are not eating as much so they're not eating they're weight, not, weight loss yeah because so, they're not eating enough yeah. okay yeah. so then well full body examination uh i would check the git um in terms of testing to do the first thing i normally do is test for worms um and test for fluke as well at this time of year so Knowing your fluke life cycle is quite useful. So your acute fluke between August and October, and then moving on to subacute and chronic fluke, and you do need specific testing for that. Um, people fur me up a lot and said, "Oh, they've, they've done a white blood cell count and it's a uh, normal, or slightly high." Um, it's a ruminant. 
it's you can't read too much into it to be honest okay. i think you're kind of wasting someone's money doing blood cell counts okay um if you're going to do blood testing you might want to check liver function um I, to be honest i find just the pcv tp is really useful to start off with yeah um things like homonchus and fluke can reduce the pcv quite dramatically okay. and a chronic worm burden and a lack of food intake can reduce can reduce total protein and if they are reduced then then do your blood counts and smear then do your biochemistry Okay. And with, with flukes and cells, can you identify that in, in a fecal like, flotation? Or? So, yeah, it's a special test. You have to be in the adult stage of flukes. So from around, where are we now? So from around this time on, October onwards, then you can look for the fluke eggs. There's no point doing that with acute fluke in August, September, um, because they're, they're, they're immature fluke and they won't be laying eggs. Okay. And, and, and would the... Uh I suppose that some uh, um, small holdings wouldn't necessarily have a, like a routine, like deworming mm-hmm. um, protocol. So, nope. so if if uh, if you were to like offer advice for that, would it would it um, would it be similar to a large animal or larger population situation where you you want to uh, deworm them and then move them to a different? Past. Yeah, so we try and get people to submit feces every four months, three, four months for a faecal egg count. Then if we don't need to worm, we don't need to worm. Generally, most smallholders have quite a bit of land for a small number of animals. And so that makes worms perhaps less likely because there's not the competition. You know, they don't graze the paddock bare. That's when you tend to get worm problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, if you're going to worm an animal, there's, there's very. if you look at the scops, there's very mixed uh, information but now we're kind of advising that you don't just worm an animal and empty it all out of worms apart from its resistant worms then move on to a clean pasture because then your animal will only excrete resistant worms onto your clean pasture and those resistant worms will multiply forming only resistant worms uh, resistance is a recessive trait so resistant worm plus resistant worm equals res- resistant worm you want to keep a mixed population so unless you have extremely high worm burn on your pasture, we now tend to recommend you worm the animal but keep it on that pasture just to make sure you keep maintain uh, the, the susceptible population in refugia. Okay, and uh, and you said so you mentioned like resistant worms. You mentioned them uh, before, like when the mics were closed about alpacas having a bit of a problem with with resistance in worms. Yeah. So, so is this more of a, a small holding phenomenon, or is this actually a a uh, more of a, a production animal uh, issue as well? <laughs> I think it's becoming a bit actually of an alpaca phenomenon. Okay. Uh, you know, they're having big problems. With, uh, they call it the barber pole worms, the homunculus worm. Um, alpacas are a bit different from just a small holder with a few sheep you know people have hundreds of them like up to 500 so you could call, really call it an intensive area intensively farmed animal um, it means that they have much higher stocking rates the animals also are giving birth to creas baby alpacas producing milk and that's stressful in itself um, living with 500 other alpacas is stressful there's a lot of infighting and so these animals are under much more stress and therefore much more susceptible to the worm population um, alpacas and goats come from very dry climates, very arid climates where they have no parasites. Um, so they don't have any much innate immunity against these parasites, so they need constant mon- monitoring. Um, sheep and cows, particularly cows, they, I know they're so big, but they're from this climate and they are very good at fighting off the parasites. Um, alpacas and goats don't have that ability, and that's why they need to be closely monitored throughout the year. And when you when you get any um, egg worms or counts from sheep, mm-hmm. is there a certain amount that you would just uh, let let ride? Because obviously, obviously, as you said, there's some balance and some innate resistance anyway. Yeah. Adult. So, is there an actual a, a number that you're more concerned about rather than presence of? Um, so, I tend to correlate 
a number of clinical signs. Um, we often don't type all the worms. You just look for strong gars or for coxie. You don't exactly know what's going on. Um, so if the animal's depressed, sick, or got diarrhea and it has a higher worm burden, then I'll treat it for worms. To, to be honest with any alpacas we have, if they're not doing right, even if they're a worm account of 100, which sounds very low, and would be very low for a sheep or a cow, I would treat the animal. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, and you mentioned sort of diarrhea. So do do you, all of those so you know gates alpacas and, and sheep would have diarrhea if they if they had worms or not necessarily no. So the homunculus worm, which eats the red blood cells from the abomasum, they just present with anemia, so they become dull, depressed, and have weight loss. Okay. And and uh, and so what would be the most sort of common cause, or what would you look into if the if the uh, if the animal had diarrhea? Um, sometimes it's just, uh, I'd always ask about the diet and change in diet because that can trigger a uh, cause of diarrhea, um, mild acidosis. Um, um, then worms would be the next thing I'd look at. And then you've got to think about longer term diseases, um, you know, liver disease potentially, but things like yonis are worth testing for. And, it, you know, yonis is a very, it's a terminal diagnosis, but it's worth establishing fairly early on because then you know where you're at. Uh, you know, if it's within your flock or herd, um, and you know what to do with the animal then. If, if they do have yonis, do you need to um, uh, think about culling the whole flock? or No, um, so yonis, 90, 90% of cases are infected in the first week of life. So even if an adult is surrounded by lots of faeces containing the pathogen, um, then they won't be infected. They'll just ingest the pathogen and it'll pass out the other end. Um, so it's... If, but if you felt lots of neonates, so perhaps if someone had like five pet sheep and they were lambing, and like one of the sheep developed yonis and was excreting it and the lambs were ingesting it, then you'd probably assume that all the lambs would have it. This doesn't mean they can't grow up and live healthy lives or apparently healthy lives. It just means at some point they will develop uh, terminal diarrhea and that's when they need to be euthanized. Okay, um, so uh, so what do we, we, we got, so lethargy as as a form of uh, like presentation. I don't like yeah. pretty vague and non-specific. Do yeah, you, do you just go through the the same things, James, yeah. or is I there anything a bit a bit different with that? Not really. No, listen to heart, lungs, GIT. They tend to be the main problems. Um, really, we get a lot of pneumonias. A lot of it's fairly common, especially this changeable weather. Yeah. And even now, it can be quite warm in the day, quite cold at night. That really precipitates pneumonia. People think it's all to do with cold weather. It's not. It's, it's the changing temperatures that tend to cause these, these diseases. Now, we try and advise that all animals are vaccinated against pasteurella, um, as well as clostridia, but pasteurella tends to be the reason for the pneumonia. Um, you know, colonisation of pathogens from the upper respiratory tract, and that tends to be what finishes animals off. So, um, yeah, definitely pneumonia is quite a worry. And again, with sheep in particular, there's lots of chronic wasting diseases which present as pneumonia. And, and with the pneumonia itself, so you, so you can sort of vaccinate against the most sort of common cause against that. But if you if you haven't been vaccinated, would yep. you prescribe them with with antibiotics? Yeah, or, if I'm worried, that? if you've got pneumonia, yeah, I'll prescribe with antibiotics, okay. um, and see how we go from there. And um, is it normally like an auscultation thing? Yeah, you know, that you're, you're happy to have a have a look at, or or is it, or do you need any sort of further testing to? No, to just listening to lungs uh, should be enough. I admit there's a bit of experience needed because. If you listen to sheep lungs and you haven't normally listened to sheep lungs, you'll be surprised how noisy they can be. So perhaps if you're out in a small holding and you're not sure, grab one of the other similar species and have a listen to their lungs as well. Um, you know, if you just do smallies, really, you'll be surprised. You know, cats and dogs, there isn't much to hear on their lungs, on the thorax. You know, sheep, you can really hear the inspiratory sounds quite clearly, and that is normal. You're really listening for the crackles, the pops, wheezes, any fluid sounds. Um, 
quite often when you're caught an animal, people have often asked to try to treat it themselves, and that's perhaps how the farm work differs from small animal work. People often, often have a store of antibiotics, or they might ask the local farmer some antibiotics. He says, oh, just give it a jab of Oxitet, whatever, or Bimla. And so they've probably tried that, so the animal's probably been sick for a week before you see it, so the disease can be fairly advanced. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I suppose that's that's always the problem. Problem with probably going to farms as well that people try something before before yeah. they come in, or, or or not necessarily doing something. Not not everyone, but but just like it's not an uncommon thing. Smallies as well. People <coughs> don't finish off antibiotic courses and yes, and, and, and restart those or, or other yeah. drugs. Uh, absolutely, yeah. that's that's a that's a common thing if you have it lying around, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, for for for, <laughs> for sure. So so are uh, so of of these uh, those three um, species that we're, we're talking about. <coughs> are, um, so you said that more of the issue with alpacas and gates for 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 worm bird. Yes, definitely. I thought, I thought gates were a bit more robust than than that. <laughs> Coats are great fun, but so not robust so sheep and cows are grazers goats are browsers so goats like to look around for something to eat and that's why they eat your washing the plastic bags you know most goats we have in are due to their own problems <laughs> the other issue we have with goats in particular is block goats um so that's a block bladder and uh, that tends to be in males that are castrated at a young age and I think people often misdiagnose that because the goat looks agitated and it's colicking. So people think colic and they associate that with an abdominal problem or a GI problem, sorry, whereas really that's a bladder problem. And it's essential that if you see a, a male goat, a castrated goat in pain, you know, scan its bladder. Um, just put a scanner on, see if you can see a bladder, see if it looks fully distended. And if so, you've got a blocked goat. And then you're, you've really got two decisions, uh, euthanasia or surgery. Um, so yeah. How do they how do they go with surgery? They go pretty well. So we send about seventy percent of our goats home who have the surgery. It all depends where the stones are. And we said the urolith's in the urethra, that can be very hard to pass, particularly in small goats. Mm. But if the urolith's in the bladder, or they've just got some uh, mucoid plugs are blocking the urethral, uh, then they tend to go home fine. Well, why, why do they get uh, stones? Why why do castrated males get? Um, so all. All species, all, all goats form stones, mm. uh, mainly due to diets. Mm. Um, we think actually we tend, and more evidence coming out of the states, that tends to be more calcium stones, and certainly we find we have more calcium stones. Um, if you goats again come from a poor quality diet, you know they, where they come from originally, they don't need good grass, good hay, and so the good stuff we provide that means they excrete a lot of calcium into their urine. If there's any sort of stasis, if they don't avoid the bladder often enough. Uh, perhaps they're dehydrated, perhaps they're being bullied and don't feel comfortable to urinate, perhaps the water's frozen so they can't drink and become dehydrated, then uh, the, the crystals form in the bladder and then stones can form. Mm. And then at some point one of these stones is going to be, tri- going to be passed through the, ure- through the urethra. Um, the problem with castrated males is that their urethra is about um, 0.3 centimetres wide, so it doesn't take a very big stone to block it. So, as I say, all, all goats get these stones, but a female and an, an entire male often pass the stones without any problem. You, you mentioned before that gates obviously pick and graze and, uh, and have a look around for it yeah. to, to eat. Are they, are they, do they get uh, foreign bodies? <laughs> yes. Okay. Just... okay. So, rather than, I mentioned, like, sheep uh, don't tend yeah, to. Yeah, sheep don't tend to, no. And they're, they're a bit bigger, they're a bigger room, and they can pass things through. Uh, okay. You'd be amazed. 
certainly a cow, you'd be amazed what you can find in the room, and if you have do, do a post mortem, no, goats tend to be the uh, tend to be the cause of their own downfall. Okay. To be honest. Okay. And and do and do you see see that occasionally as well, like foreign foreign bodies in goats yeah. that uh, and 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 do you take those to surgery sometimes? Or? Yeah, we would take those to surgery definitely, and certainly when I was in practice, they used to pull out inanimate objects out of goats. Um, Oh, that's where that is. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that, that too. You know, it's so different to a dog in some ways. Yeah. You know, they, see some, they find something, they'll eat it, not really think about the consequences. It's all food and tool proof otherwise. All, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's all food, absolutely. Um, and uh, and so, so that, but, but also alpacas, do they get uh, foreign body ingestion or, or, or difficulties with uh, urination at no. all? No. No, they're much more particular okay. in what they eat. Um, okay. Alpacas, we see um, dietary deficiency sometimes. So they come from the Andes. Lovely, clear blue skies, lots of sunshine, not quite the same in England. So vitamin D deficiencies are quite common in alpacas. And alpaca owners, we recommend they give vitamin D paste or injections twice a year, so at the beginning and end of winter. Um, dark alpacas, black alpacas, need to have these supplementation more often. Um, and Korea's baby alpacas should really have uh, supplementation every four to six weeks in the first few months of life. Okay, so is that the, the main thing, like it's vitamin D with, associated with a lot of alpacas? Yeah, problems? so we've seen a lot of bone deformities as a consequence of lack of vitamin D. Is that because they're fast growing as, as well, or just... Uh, or no, they just, just really miss just the sun. Miss the sun. <laughs> fair, fair enough, I didn't necessarily... Uh, necessarily as I'm sure you can appreciate. That. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah ab- absolutely, uh, yeah, a lack, lack, of, lack of vitamin D. Um, we're, we're talking, maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll approach a, a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of pigs as well, if, if, yeah, if, that's that, fine. if that's all right. But the, the, the same sort of thing for, for small hoardings in pigs, so weight yeah. loss and diarrhoea, um, lethargy? Lameness or? is probably the biggest problem with pigs. I come across, and that's purely due to uh, obesity leading to arthritis. Mm. So, I have to say, and the same actually for sheep. We know we've bred breeds which are very quick growing and fast growing, and they're designed to finish quickly and be slaughtered and eaten. And when you rescue this animal, um, they grow quickly and get big quickly, mm. and they're not designed to live for six, seven, eight years. And so, when you get to that point, um, they tend to develop arthritis. Often, the animal's obese, which doesn't help. Um, you know, a, like a, a normal sheep should live to 15 years, but you find a big pedigree uh, thing will not live that long at all. That You know, we've bred them to be a different type of sheep. Yeah. And they're very much the same for pigs. Yeah. Um, if you think you've got a 300 kilo pig, if you think about the size of their trotters and the pressure they're putting on their feet, it's not a surprise often they get lots of lameness issues. Yeah. Yeah, and do you and can you use like non-steroidals with uh, with pigs? You can indeed. Yeah, um, there's now an oral form of meloxicam, so bovine and make metacam an oral form, which you can give orally, uh, which makes life much easier. I know pigs are much more intimidating to deal with as a vet. They can be dangerous. They can bite you, and often it's very difficult to restrain them. The owners like seeing them walk around their garden, uh, but they have no control over them quite often. Yeah, they can be very well, uh, very well trained. They as can well, be. Kind of. They can be well trained, but just. Putting needle in tends to negate all training. Okay, yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And do you do, you do any specific um, tests for for those? Or if they if they're lame, can you you try them on a non steroidal and see if they get better? Or, yeah, or do you so we've done graft them. Or? Yeah, so in in practice, that's fine. Yeah, just see, do a, a non steroidal trial should be absolutely fine, and see how infrequently infrequently you can get away with using it. But X raying can be useful. The good thing about pigs compared to ruminants is they're much easier to knock out. You know, you've the simple stomach animal, you've got fewer risks, fewer problems. Um so it's a combination of Zyazium, Torfin and Ketamine I find works. That is off license. 
Um, if you're going to use the licensed product as apparatus as Stresnel would be what you use. Um, can have inconsistent results really. But um, you know, X-ray gives you a proper diagnosis um, and you know where you're at then. Uh, sadly, we had a pick recently with horrendous arthritis and it had polyarthritis um, and it would have got the disease as a piglet again. So this person had bought this, pig, this young piglet as a piglet and really they've been sold a duffer. <laughs> Mm. And that is sometimes a bit hard as a vet, you know, smallholders, pharmacy smallholders coming and sell them something that they know probably won't do quite so well. Yeah. And so they sell them something on with problems. Yeah. And um, and so with the arthritis in, in pigs, is it focused around certain areas or the same with with, with more leaves, so like is it more hips or is it more actually their, their, their well, front This poor limbs? pig we saw was all limbs, I have to say. It was yeah. all joints. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say very much elbows. Okay. Uh, hocks. Yeah. Hips. Yeah. yeah. From there, rooting around. I, yeah, I yeah, from moving. Just the pressure on these joints all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and respiratory diseases in in pigs. Yeah, definitely can be a po- can definitely be a problem. Yeah. Um, not so much an individual. I think this is a big problem in commercial units. There's so many pathogens and they spread so quickly. You know, in your individual pig or two pig, you're not going to have the big viruses like PERS. Yeah. Um, or even adibacillus or mycoplasma isn't going to be quite so common. Certainly if the pig doesn't go off the site, you know, if your pig doesn't go to shows, those, those diseases shouldn't be a problem. In terms of diseases that might kill your pet pig, erysipelas is the big one. Uh, that's what we recommend all pig owners vaccinate their pigs against. And if they're going to breed their, from the pigs, we uh, recommend they vaccinate against parvovirus as well. Okay. Is it a pig-specific parvovirus? Or? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it is, yeah. Okay. I don't think, yeah, don't give your dog vaccine. <laughs> Tip for life. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, but, okay, so, so, you, uh, so that's good. And, and, and weight loss in, in pigs, is it similar similar thing with, with sheep Most, looking yeah. at the teeth? And, and Most weight loss in pig, um, not so much teeth, I have to say, uh, tends to be pain-related. So, so don't underestimate pain could be a consequence of lameness. Mm. Um, we do see some GI problems. So, again, worms to the fore. Pigs can also get fluke that people forget. Um, so just again start from the bottom do a clinical, clinical examination um, I know getting from a pig uh, getting blood from a pig can be very difficult perhaps doing a faecal egg count um, but you know pigs often uh, people give an antibiotic in the feed give an, a non-steroid in the feed give a worm in the feed and kind of cross their fingers and see how it goes and to be honest often, often owners are fairly happy with that um, and if they want to do more then by all means image them or perhaps offer a referral I think pigs in practice are very difficult for someone who's not used to dealing with them, due, you know, mainly just due to a lack of handling facilities and the slight danger they pose. Yeah, it's difficult once they get above uh, a, a certain weight or uh, they, they can yeah, be you difficult know, to manage. They, they might be four or five times your weight. You know, good luck with that. Yeah. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so do, does that encompass like, most of the, the small holding uh, pets? Obviously, I, I know we spoke to you, uh, Joe Headley, about, uh, about uh, chickens in, in general, but do you think that covers most of the small holdings that you, you tend to deal with, James? Yeah, yeah. I think just, you know... The presentations like with chickens, the presentation is dull chicken, snuffly chicken, um, lame chicken, diarrhea chicken. That's about it, really. And you just got to go through the basics every time. Why might that happen? Mm. And I think people in small practice do know these answers. They've qualified as omnicompetent and just need to go back to the basics, do a clinical examination and think, well, what can cause that? Yeah. Um, it needs to be, have your small animal, a small animal approach. You know, I suppose in old animals... You know, we joke about in farm work, we don't get tumours because animals don't live long enough. But, you know, 
um, pet animals can live longer and so we do see tumours sometimes in the very old animals and there are some farm specific diseases you might need to be aware of but do the basics first just rule out the rule out the worms hmm. <laughs> check they're receiving enough food check they're receiving the right food check they've got some teeth you know if you just do those basics before you phone us up and ask for advice that can that can really we can cut to the chase much more quickly Absolutely. And are, are there, um, do we have to worry, even if they're that pet uh, sheep, goats, alpacas, um, about the drugs that we that we give and prescribe? So we still try, and, yeah, we do, and try and ensure that we give to food, to treat them as food producing animals. You never know what's going to happen. Right. And obviously you've got to trust your client, but you never know what. You know, they might be breeding piglets to sell on someone else, and you don't know what what happens to them. Yeah. So always treat all animals as food producing. In some ways that makes your life easier because it kind of restricts the number of drugs you can use. Yeah. Um, not anti-inflammatories, there's four or five available. Most people use amloxicam or phenixin. Antibiotics-wise, I don't really see why you need to go outside of um, um, penicillin derivatives and oxytats. You know, they treat most things and do most things. Uh, and there's oral forms as well of oxytet. Um, for pigs, there's also an oral form of tylosin, which can be used in pigs, which can be very useful. But, you know, penicillins and oxytets treat most things. Um, and you find if you give a long-acting preparations a few times, most animals will get better. <laughs> is uh, coccidiosis a big, a big problem in, in uh, pigs that you see? Coxy really is a disease of uh, intensive environments. Um, so by all means, it can certainly happen. Um, but it tends to be when you've got animals like who are eating where they defecate at the same time, and that's how it tends to perpetuate that disease. Okay, so it shouldn't really necessarily be a problem. No, not in, in, so again. When you do your worm count, you do fecal flotation, and you'll see if any coxia there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, do, do you think uh, we need to cover anything else, James, in this sort of smorgasbord of uh, of how to deal with um, small holding um, pets? I think just yeah. I suppose one thing is that say is to be aware of the, of the legalities as well. Mm-hmm. Most animals we have sense and don't have a CPH number, don't know what movement forms are, and your job as a vet is to be aware of these. So even if you have a meeting in your practice, just make sure all of, you're all aware of what you need to do. Certainly pigs, there's big restrictions on their movement. Um, even if you take a pig for a walk, you have to have a pig walking licence. Um, so just be aware of these sort of things, <laughs> because if, there, if something does go wrong and the and the owner says to the ministry, well, the vet never told me. I think it will come back to you, and it's still your job to be able to enforce and to notify the owners of these sort of rules. Otherwise, examine the animals properly. Um, think about the common... The common things are common. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, go ch- don't go chasing the weird and wonderful. Um, you should rule out worms, rule out respiratory disease, check they've got teeth, they're not lame. You know, by all means, then think about where to go from there. The owner wants to spend the money, that's fair enough. As I said, goats, the particular diseases, so very much alpacas, we see a lot of anemia because of the monkers. Or goats, if you see them colicking, think about block bladder. So they're very specific diseases, but they're important to identify. Um, we have goat owners that come in that don't mind that um, the, goat's got, the goat's got block bladder. They mind that the animal might have suffered for three or four days because no one's really bothered to look for the block bladder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's more the issue. But, uh, I think that's good to know. As, as far as like, where, where do you um, find the information about the legality? Is that on DEFRA's website? Yeah, that would be, yeah. That's okay. on the website. And, and obviously that's kept up to date, so you can just refer, hope it's to, kept up to, refer date, yeah. to there and, and, <laughs> yeah. and have, have a look. Okay. Basically, if they've got any sort of farm animal, then they have to be registered with the government. With, so you have a CPH number, a county parish holding herd number. Okay, okay. And, and that is more with a, with a local... Uh, not the local council, sorry, the... Uh, um, yeah, you phone, yeah, you phone up the HPA. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, thank you very much, Shane, for your, your time today. Um, and uh, and we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks again for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device. And that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. And don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends, any friends, really. Um, and we'll play some show notes on the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine, it should be top of the tree. If you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email me, dbarfield.rvc.ac.uk or tweet at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.